Yes, but Judges chapter 10. I tell my kids that all the time whenever we're going to people's house, we're visiting other churches. Uh, we've had this speech many times in our car where we'll, like before we like go walking into the church or walking into somebody's house with people we don't know well, I always have told our kids, guys, I need you, you guys behave. We want these people to think we're a nice family while we're here. And we, we said that many times over the years. And so um, hopefully when you hear me say those things, you take it in the spirit of, of humor but because uh, I do think we're a normal church. If I didn't think we were a normal church, I'd be trying to fix that. But Judges chapter 10, and we are going to add two judges uh, to the list tonight. Uh, does anybody know all the judges so far and want to say them? Yes, sir, Isaac, you know all the judges? Excellent. And then last week we added Abimelech. And today we're adding two, and y'all are going to have a tough time remembering these guys because the Bible says very little about them, but their names are Tola and Jair. Hopefully I'm saying that right. Tola and Jair. All right, so you think we're going to add those two, say that together, get it in your head. Ready? Othniel, Ehud, Shamgar, Deborah, Gideon, Abimelech, Tola, and Jair. And we're going to look at something in this chapter tonight that's really important that um, I'm going to use this chapter to illustrate something just about the character of God uh, that will be helpful in uh, you understanding how to interpret a lot of the Bible. Also, too, uh, when we look at the story, it can help us know how to really refute some uh, bad teaching that's out there where people will take certain things in the Bible and jump to some really weird conclusions with them. But um, some real important stuff that we're going to look at. But before we start going through chapter 10... In order to, um, you know, have some background or some context to what God is, we're going to see God tell Israel here in this chapter. We do need to uh, refresh ourselves and remind ourselves of what's been going on in their history. So, the first judge that we mentioned, Othniel, during his time, Israel had been under oppression for seven years. Now, now I don't know the exact timeline. The Bible isn't real clear in all this, but we do know. From the time of Joshua, or during the time of Joshua and all the elders that outlived Joshua, Israel did right in the sight of the Lord. So there was a long period of peace, prosperity, of blessings, but then Israel eventually they turned their back on God. They end up getting in trouble and they were in oppression for seven years. God sends Othniel to deliver them and then they have peace for 40 years. We're not going to take time to read these verses, but so seven years are bad. Forty years are good. Then, during Ehud's time, Israel had served Eglon for 18 years. So, 18 years things were bad in Israel. But then, after Ehud delivered them, they have peace for 80 years. Then, we have Shamgar. It doesn't give any timeline. With Deborah, it doesn't give any timeline. But it does say that they were mightily oppressed under Sisera. And from what we read in the story, while it was really bad there's no indication that it lasted a super long time, but it probably did last a period of years, but um, I doubt it was much more than 10 or anything like that. The Bible doesn't say, but either way, after Deborah, they had peace for 40 years. During Gideon, they were oppressed for seven years. They were under Midian for seven years, but after Gideon delivered them, they had peace for 40 years. And then last week, we looked at the situation with Abimelech, which was kind of more of a, of a local thing. 
that took place. It wasn't really all over, is, uh, over Israel, and it was kind of more of an internal conflict in a lot of ways. But now we're in chapter 10. So has there been way more time of peace than bad? I mean, significantly more time of peace. And it was always a result of them turning back to God and God being merciful to them. And now, in chapter 10, it says, And after Abimelech, there arose to defend Israel Tola, the son of Pua, the son of Dodo, a man of Issachar, and he dwelt in Shamer in Mount Ephraim, and he judged Israel twenty and three years and died and was buried in Shamer. And after him arose Jair, the Gileadite, and he judged Israel twenty and two years. And he had thirty sons that rode upon thirty ass colts, and they had thirty cities, which are called Havoth Jair unto this day, which are in the land of Gilead. And Jair died and was buried in Cameon. So notice, here we have 45 years, and these two guys, all it does is it tells us that they defended Israel. So during the, the, their 45 years, Israel was never under tribute or under oppression, even though there were attempts. But these guys were used of God to stop the enemy. So Israel was fine during this time. They had to fight some defensive battles, but they won those battles. And these guys, they're, they're, again, they're hard to remember because not much is said, but did you know that's actually a good thing in the Bible? Typically, the kings that very little is said about, it's because nothing bad happened during their time. And isn't that kind of what you want for a king? You know, I don't want an Abraham Lincoln for a president because even though he's one of the most famous presidents, that was also one of the worst times in American history we ever had. Massive bloodshed. I'd rather, have, I'd rather have Andrew Johnson. You say, well, he got impeached. Yeah, but what happened during his time? I don't know. I'd, I'd, rather, have, I'd rather have a time of peace and a president getting impeached you know, than a time where everybody loves a president, but you know, our country is in civil war. And not trying to blame Lincoln, but I'm just saying, even though I probably do blame Lincoln, but either way, I'm just saying, I would just rather have you know, live during a reign that's peaceful and not a bunch of bad things happening. And so that's how it was for these guys. So I think these were probably really good guys. But the bottom line, from what we're seeing here in their history, Israel had significantly more time of peace than they did of oppression. But understand, these times of peace, and we've kind of shown this as we've been going through it, did not equal times of obedience. During these years where it was peaceful, Israel was often worshiping idols and doing all kinds of wickedness. God just wouldn't immediately bring the hammer down. God would give them space to repent and they wouldn't repent. And so then God would finally allow the enemies to come in. So I don't want you to mistake these peaceful years as years where Israel's being good. The years where Israel's being good during all this time, the Bible doesn't tell us for sure, but it was probably very few years. The wickedness was great. And so we're about to see Israel again do evil in the sight of the Lord. But I want you to notice God's response that he has, because this is interesting. So verse six says, and the children of Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord and served Balaam and Ashtaroth and the gods of Syria and the gods of Zidon and the gods of Moab and the gods of the children of Ammon and the gods of the Philistines and forsook the Lord and served not them. Did you know that all these gods that they served were gods of people who their God defeated? What, I mean, what's that all about? I know everybody loves an underdog, but good night. You know, their God kept delivering them, giving them victory. And then what did they do? You know what? We want to serve the gods of the people that our God defeated. That doesn't make any sense. But you know what? Israel was wicked 
And that, that is exactly what they did. This is full-on rebellion against God. Now, the Bible doesn't go into all the motivations for why they rebelled. And it is. It's easy to look at that and think, why would they rebel? Well, I think there's one good reason why they would rebel. When you look at the law of God, it was a holy law. And if you're a carnal person, you're not going to like doing those laws. And, they, and Israel had a problem, which is giving themselves over to the flesh. And that's why they kept going after these things. And you know what? All those pagan gods, you could do whatever you wanted. And that's why we see Israel doing a lot of the abominations that they did. And so, they are in re- full-on rebellion against God. And also, this is a result, this sin that they're doing here during this time is a result of them not fully obeying the Lord and driving people out of the land. Remember how they put them under tribute? So understand, that sin of not completely obeying God cost them dearly. But folks, it was decades and even centuries later when they suffered for these things. So verse 7 says, And the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel. And He sold them into the hands of the Philistines and into the hands of the children of Ammon. And notice how it says God's anger was hot. What does that mean? This is an intense anger. I mean, God's been angry at Israel several times, but man, He is hot. He is angry. He is ready to really give it to them. And He does. He gives them over to the Philistines and the Ammonites. And it says, And that year they vexed and oppressed the children of Israel 18 years. All the children of Israel that were on the other side of Jordan and in the land of the Amorites, which is in Gilead, and moreover, the children of Ammon passed over Jordan to fight also against Judah and against Benjamin and against the house of Ephraim, so that Israel was sore distressed, and the children of Israel cried unto the Lord, saying, We have sinned against thee, both because we have forsaken our God and also served Balaam. So sadly, it took them 18 years, 18 years of punishment, 18 years of judgment, and they called on God. And let me tell you something. This is just, I don't want to get too sidetracked here. But, you know, I I hope our country gets to the point where historically we're going to be able to look back and say, you know what, we let our country allow queers to get married for 10 years, 15 years. And then finally, people, when they started seeing drag shows and all this stuff, they finally called on the Lord and repented. That could happen. That could happen in this country. And that often that is how things happen Things just get so bad, it finally causes people to wake up. I mean, they they should have woke up a long time ago. But, you know, sometimes it takes being in the hog pen and eating with the swine before a person comes to themselves. And you know what? Maybe that could happen with our country where we do. People just find like, wait, what is happening here? You know, maybe one of these days when they're seeing some tranny freak marrying a kid or something, maybe that'll be what it takes. I don't know. But I, I, I do hope and pray that eventually our country wakes up and calls on God, repents, and we can go full Asa on these people. And if you don't know what that means, look it up. All right? so I don't, but very, very important. I'd love to see that kind of thing happen. But after 18 years, they did. They called on the Lord. And let me tell you, no matter what, it's always good to call on the Lord and confess your sins. But understand you know, that your heart in that situation does matter. And Israel is sorry, but, you know, I think it's only because of the oppression that they're under. It, does, it doesn't appear that they're necessarily sorry, you know, because they offended a holy God. 
you know, they're sorry God's mad at them. They don't like it that they're in trouble, but they should be offend, you know, sad and sorry that they offended a holy God. But notice what God says here. They've, they have called on the Lord. They are sorry for what they've done. But listen to what God says. And the Lord said unto the children of Israel, Did not I deliver you from the Egyptians and from the Amorites and the children of Ammon and from the Philistines? The Zidonians also and the Amalekites and the Manites did oppress you. And ye cried, uh, you, and ye cried to me, and I delivered you out of their hand. Yet ye have forsaken me and served other gods. Wherefore, I will deliver you no more. So I like what God said. He's like, you know what? Go cry to your new gods. You, know, you, go, you go tell them you know, about the oppression that you're under. You go ask them to deliver you. They're the ones you've been serving. And isn't that how God often does things where God gives people over to certain things? You know, you want that bad enough? Fine, you can have it. It's not going to be good for you. It's not going to make you happy, but I'll, I'll let you have it. And God's basically telling them here, you go serve those other gods. You know, just go pray to your other gods. Let them help you out. And then he said, notice what he says here. He says, I will deliver you no more. I will deliver you no more. Now, what do we do with this phrase? Because we know God's going to deliver Israel many more times in the future. And it's important that you get a hold of this. I'm going to show you something very important when it comes to your Bible study that if you don't understand this concept, you're going to have characters come along that are teaching some weird things. And one teaching I've been hearing about lately, and I think more and more people are starting to believe this, there's a belief out there that, I forgot what it's called exactly, that teaches you know, that there is a place called hell and everything. God's going to send people. But there are some people out there that are teaching that one of these days, though, God's going to save them anyway. And that God, because He's so gracious and merciful, He's going to go ahead and let them out of hell. And everyone's going to... I think it's uh, universal or, or not universal. Unitarian? Something like that? Universalism? He's basically just going to save everybody in the end. Some people go to hell for a while. But in the end, God's just going to have mercy and save them all. Okay, now, you all are looking like, that's really dumb. And that is really dumb. But you know what? I mean, yeah, God did say He was going to send them into hell forever. But, you know, he also told Israel, I'm going to deliver you no more. And guess what? He delivered him anyway. So it's possible. You know, I mean, it's, it's God. He can change his mind, right? We're, we're about to watch God change his mind in this story. God does change his mind sometimes. So if we see God in the Bible, I'm speaking as a heretic right now. If we see God in the Bible, sometimes changing his mind, why can't he change his mind in the future about hell? Uh, these are important questions, right? And I do believe there's answers. I, I do believe there's answers to these things. Don't worry. I think people that are going to hell are staying there. And let me just say, I, I kind of wish you would let them out, personally. You know, some people. <laughs> some people. But, you know, I, I don't like the thought of an eternal hell. I tell people all the time, I wish the annihilation doctrine was true. I, I would prefer that. But I'm also not holy. I'm not God. And you know what? That's not what the Bible teaches. And so as much as I would like the idea of that, I can't accept it. I'm not, I'm not going to teach it. That's not what the Bible teaches. And if, and if it seems a little too harsh for me, it seems a little too extreme for me, well, maybe that's just my sinful flesh and my sinful nature talking right there. I'm going to believe what God says. And nobody's given sufficient proof of the Bible of anything other than that. But, we, uh, but God did say, I will deliver you. No more. And so what we're seeing happen here, it's something people often ignore about God. 
And often in the Bible, when we see words that are being spoken from the mouth of God, sometimes those are words where He is making a promise that without a doubt, this is going to come to pass. You know, there, there are words where He's giving people a guarantee. But sometimes we see God telling people what He's planning on doing at that moment, at that time. And often we see God change His mind. And God is allowed to do that to a certain point. But one thing you won't see God do in the Bible is, is guarantee some good, good thing and go back on it later. And, and I'm gonna, we're going to look at some examples. There are examples of God, you could say, tell, promising a bad thing that God comes back on and does a good thing instead. You know what that's called? That's called mercy. Okay? That God is a merciful God. Now, something you, know, you won't see God do in the Bible is promise a good thing and then go back on that and give something bad instead. You never see that with God. Because God is a merciful God. And so God is allowed to do that. He is allowed, he is allowed to show mercy. And at any time we are seeing mercy or experiencing mercy, seeing God do something merciful, that is not God going, or that's God not going through something that He could have done. That He said uh, would happen or could happen. And so God can't, but you know, God can't be merciful if He allows every bad thing to come on us that He said. And the Bible has many examples of God not going through a judgment that He pronounced, but we never see God not going through with good things He pronounced. So for example, yea, in 40 days, Nineveh shall be overthrown. That's, I mean, that was the mouth, that was you know, from the prophet Jonah. Did God destroy the earth after 40 days? No, He didn't. In fact, in Jonah 4.1, it says, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he was very angry. And he prayed unto the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? Therefore, I fled before thee unto Tarshish, for I knew that thou art a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness and repentest thee of the evil. God did plan on destroying Nineveh in 40 days. But God changed His mind when He saw that they repented of their evil ways and God was merciful. God was gracious. That is an attribute of God. It's God not giving us what we deserve. It's, not God, it's God not going through with what He said He was going to go through. But again, when it comes to things that are negative. Thank God for His mercy. Thank God that not all those things come to pass. And so, um, so I do, I think it's appropriate to say the only reason we will ever see God not go through with something He said is because of His grace and mercy. But understand, God is never required to show mercy. Otherwise, it's not really mercy, is it? You can't demand mercy. Okay? If, if mercy is demanded, then that means it's owed and therefore it's not really mercy. We all understand that? So I, 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 think, I think we all get that. So another thing we're reminded of in this passage is God does change His mind. Sometimes. In Genesis 6-5, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that He had made man on the earth and it grieved Him at His heart. God 
changed his mind. At that point in their history, when he saw the wickedness that was going on, he was just like, I wish I had made man on the earth. And it says, and the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and creeping thing and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. So, folks, did God go through with that? Did, did God destroy both man and beast? No. He, now, He did most of it. But, but, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And so, you know what? God ended up preserving man. God ended up preserving beasts through Noah and the ark. So, that was God being merciful. God didn't have to do that. God would have been righteous in destroying everyone after all the wickedness that they had done. But God was gracious and merciful and God did not go through with what He said He was going to do. Exodus chapter 32 and verse 9, And the Lord said unto Moses, I have seen this people and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore, let me alone that my wrath may wax hot against them and that I may consume them and I will make of thee a great nation. Now, does God go through with this? No, He does not. God said, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to consume them. I'm going to make of you a great nation. But then it says that Moses besought the Lord his God and said, Lord, why doth thy wrath wax hot against thy people which thou hast brought forth out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Wherefore should the Egyptians speak and say, for mischief did he bring them out to slay them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from thy fierce wrath and repent of this evil against thy people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel thy servants to whom thou swearest by thine own self and saidst unto them, I will multiply your seed as the stars of heaven and this land that I have spoken of will I give to your seed and shall inherit it forever. And the Lord repented of the evil which he thought to do unto his people. So God said, I'm going to destroy him. And then Moses talked him out of it and God changed his mind. God repented of the evil that he thought to do. God often changes his mind. And folks, this is where the Calvinists go wrong. Because we know from the Scriptures, in the Scriptures, the Calvinists are very good at finding certain things that God decreed and that God determined from the foundation of the world. Do you know there are some things that God decreed and determined from the foundation of the world? You can find things like that in the Bible. You want to know one of the things that God decreed and God determined from the foundation of the world? A, a lamb slain and that it be Jesus Christ. From the foundation of the world, that God had that plan to do that. But that doesn't mean every single thing has been decreed from the foundation of the world. Yes, you can find certain things that God said, this is going to happen and nothing can change that. But folks, there are plenty of things going on right now in our timeline that can go one way or the other. But then you've got these Calvinists out there that teach that God ordained everything. God ordained child molesters and you know, all the, every terrible thing that ever happened to you, God ordained it for you. And it's just like, it's a twisted Calvinist God that they teach. And they, and they just, they jump to that conclusion because they can find in the Bible things that God decreed from the foundation of the world. But folks, we see plenty of things in the Bible where God, He kind of, you know, operated as things played out. God originally was going to, uh, you know, do this great work through the people of Israel. And He delivered them from Egypt. But then, God decided, I'm going to destroy them. And I'm starting over with Moses. And then, God changed His mind and He didn't destroy them. You know, you know thanks, thanks to Moses. So we see that kind of thing in the Bible. And in all these examples where we're watching God change His mind, notice when we're seeing the words of God, 
It's literally recording the conversation that's taken place. This is telling us what God was saying during this event. So keep that in mind. We're seeing the words of God, but we're seeing the things that God was spoken. It's like it's recording a transcript of a conversation. Keep that in mind. And so, uh, there, uh, so a good way to illustrate what's going on here is to compare uh, in a marriage. Okay, when a man decides to marry a woman, there are certain things that are just declared and decreed at a marriage. At least it's supposed to be, like till death do you part. Okay, when, when my wife and I got married, we got up and we gave vows saying for better, for worse, rich or poor, all that stuff. Sickness and health, till death do you part. She promised you know, to love, honor, obey. I promised to love, honor, cherish. We did all those things. We determined this is how our marriage is going to work. Where I'm the head of the home, you're in submission, and we're staying married. Okay? Now, those are, you know, those are big things to decree, aren't they? But now... How those things have played out, how we have implemented those things, that, you know, uh, that is something that is not determined. Y'all understand that? I mean, regular, you know, as we've been married, there have been things that have changed. There have been things that in our day-to-day operation, as far as, you know, how we do things, you know, that change. There's been times where she's done the bills. There's been times in our marriage where I've done the bills. You know, there's been times where we've kind of had different things that we've done. And while a good man, uh, he'll never violate those vows, from time to time he might change his mind about certain things they need to do to make the marriage work. You know, like which side of the bed to sleep on or, you know, whatever. Those kind of things can change, can't they? There's a lot of things that can change. You know, there's things that, uh, you know, my wife has changed about me. My wife talked me into getting rid of the glasses. You know, the, you know, there's, you know, my wife, there's, there's things that she's talked me into that she's changed my mind about. There's things with her I've changed her mind about. But either way, as things have changed throughout our marriage, certain things haven't changed. And one is that we're married, that we're still going to the grave, you know, married to each other. And that's how it is with God. There are certain things that God has declared and decreed from the foundation of the world that cannot change, that will not change. But that doesn't mean there aren't things in our relationship with Him. You know, there's not certain things in our church as we go forward that might not change from time to time. You know, if we get really backslidden, God might say, you know what, I'm done blessing you. And then, you know what, we might repent, and then God might like, oh, you know, I'm going to start blessing you again. But, you know, He might not do that either. We, we don't know for sure. So, again, not everything we're doing is like this pre-programmed thing that we're just, you know, forced to just let play out. No, there's things that we can definitely affect. And so, in this story, or in the, so in the marriage vows, they are. They're sacred and they're unchanging, but the day-to-day operation of those things are subject to change as long as they don't violate the vows. So, we all get that, and that's how it is with God. There are certain things that he's decreed that cannot change, but when it comes to certain day-to-day things, they, they can be subject to change. And in this story, we see God's at a point where he's done delivering the pe- these people. But we're going to see he is merciful and he's going to change his mind. This is one more time that God repented, even though it doesn't use the word repent here. 
And so God is still mad in this next verse. And look what he says. Verse 14. Go and cry unto the gods which ye have chosen. Let them deliver you in the time of your trouble. And when we choose to serve other gods and go after the things of the world, God will often let us succeed just to teach us He was right all along. You really think money will make you happy? Fine. I'll, I'll, I'll let you get some money. But I promise you'll be miserable. God does that. God will do that with you. Verse 15, And the children of Israel said unto the Lord, We have sinned. Do thou unto us whatsoever seemeth good unto thee. Deliver us only, we pray thee this day. And they put away the strange gods from among them and served the Lord. And his soul was grieved for the misery of Israel. So, listen, Israel deserved this misery. But you know what? God, as angry as he was, he was grieved at their misery. That's something we need to just remember about God when we're going through hard times. Even if we're being punished, God doesn't enjoy seeing us being punished. That's why don't be afraid to ask for Never be afraid to ask for mercy. I mean, there's a good chance you're going to get it. It's not always guaranteed. There's a good chance. God's, got, God's very merciful. Verse 17, And the children of Ammon were gathered together and encamped in Gilead. And the children of Israel assembled themselves together and encamped at Mizpah. And the people and princes of Gilead said one to another, What man is he that will begin to fight against the children of Ammon and shall be head over the inhabitants of Gilead? And so this chapter it kind of ends in the middle of the story. But we're going to see in the next chapter, God's going to raise up Jephthah, the Gileadite. And uh, mighty man of valor. And, and, we, and um, you know, God's going to do what He always does. God's going to show mercy, raise up another judge, and He's going to deliver Israel again. So... Here's the thing. It is very foolish to tempt God and knowingly sin and rebel against Him. But understand, it is also foolish whenever you do rebel and get in trouble to not seek mercy from God. His mercy is one of the most notable attributes. And while I'm not planning on attempting to test His limits, you know, when I do find myself in need of mercy, I'm not going to hesitate to ask for it. But let me, so let me show you this though, because this is what we need to get from this. Okay? At what point can we be sure that judgment is sure? Because God said in the story, I will deliver you no more, yet he delivered them. So are the universalists right? That God said you're going to go to hell, but God might change his mind in the future. Let's all hope he changes his mind and lets everyone out of hell. Hey, well, that might give you a good, warm, fuzzy feeling thinking about that. I don't believe that will ever happen. And here's why. And I think here's where we can tell the difference. It's very important you get a hold of this. Because um, is it possible for God to change His mind someday in eternity and let everyone out of hell? You know, Is it possible He could change His mind about the Jews and just go ahead and save them all in the future? Some people, you know, is, you know, is it okay? Or is it possible? When can we, with authority finally say something bad is going to happen. And I think, very simply, it's right here. When it's written. When, it, when it's written. See, we, even, and it was like this in the Bible too, and there are, you know, we are allowed to speak of what our plans or our intentions are without being forced to follow through with them. You all understand that? But again, and there's a difference between somebody stating their intentions and someone making a vow. 
There's a big difference between, difference between somebody stating their intentions and someone signing a contract or something like that. And, and that's why it's always been this way in, in, in our history that when things get written down, you know, when things are signed, you know, when things are notarized, you know, these things, they become binding at that point. And one of the reasons we can say with great authority that certain things that are negative are going to in fact happen is because these things have been written. These things have been promised. These things have had guarantees put on them. And I believe once it's written, what we saw in Judges was not written. We're seeing a transcript, you could say, of a conversation that was taking place. God was giving his intentions, which those were his intentions at the time, but God changed his mind. And we are, we're allowed to change our mind about some things. If I tell you after church tonight I'm going to McDonald's and then you see me in the Culver's drive-thru, I don't think that gives you the right to just declare me a liar. I planned on going to McDonald's, but you know what? I, I changed my mind. I got hungry for Culver's. You know, do, but do I have to? Man, I was talking with Brother Chris after service. I told him I was going to McDonald's. Man, I don't want to look like a liar. I have to go to Culver's. Well, you know, it's not going to affect him one way or the other. And, and, and so I, I'm not hurting him. If I do something like that, you know, it's not a promise I made to him. It was just me telling him what I'm going to do. But that's especially the case, too, if I pronounce something bad. You know, if I tell Brother Chris, I'm mad at you. I'm going to kill you. And then later I'm like, man, I probably overreacted. I don't want to kill him. And then he calls me a liar for not killing him. No, I'm being merciful. <laughs> you know, that's a good thing. Okay? And, and so we do. We see that a lot. When God, in the heat of a moment, He's ready to take him out, He'll later change His mind. That's God being merciful. But once it's written, we see in Psalms 138, verse 2, it says, I will worship toward Thy holy temple and praise Thy name for Thy loving kindness and for Thy truth. For Thou hast magnified Thy Word above all Thy name. When God puts something down in His Word, you better believe this is important. You better believe this really matters. Listen, do we think that these are the only words that God has ever spoken? Listen, there's all kinds of things that God said. There's things that God said to Moses. God spoke with Moses face to face. There's a lot of conversations that have taken place. Jesus spent 30-some years on this earth. He did a lot of talking during that time. But boy, there was something special about the words that He put in this book that have, that have authority, things that we, can, that, that we can count on. And once it, once it gets written... It is. It's a bigger deal. It's more important. We see in Matthew one twenty one, and she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, and I preached a message about this a while back, how many of these prophecies, it's the prophecies were not all about just predicting the future. These prophecies that were written too, these were also instructions and Jesus purposefully did things in order to fulfill the Scripture. You know why? Because it was written. It says in John nineteen twenty eight. after this, Jesus knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the Scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. Jesus is hanging on that cross. He knows what the Scripture says. He knows all that needs to be done. There was only one thing left to be fulfilled on the cross, and that was they needed to give him vinegar to drink. 
and they hadn't done, and, and they had done it earlier. He didn't take it then, but that, that hasn't been fulfilled yet. And so right there at the very end of his life, he said, I thirst. Why did he do that? He knew vinegar wasn't going to quench his thirst or anything. He did it that the scripture might be fulfilled. You know why? Because this scripture is the authority. God submits himself to what he writes in his word. Jesus submitted himself to what was written in the scriptures. And so understand that in the Bible, a lot of times we are, we're literally watching things play out between God and Israel. And as those events unfolded, God would react to what they would do and His mind would often be changed. But what we don't ever see in the Bible is God repenting of what is written. We don't, I, I, I can't think of anything like that in the Bible where God repented of, of what was written. And this is why we actually do know what will happen to the lost. This is why we do know in the book of Revelation that was written, that was, where we were specifically told not to change anything. Do not add to this. Do not take away from this. Why? Because these things aren't going to change. And even in uh, many of the other prophecies that we see in the Bible, there were a lot of pro- there's a lot of prophecies in the Scripture that they were, they were conditional prophecies. This will happen if you do this. Or they were, uh, they were conditional of, you know, upon whether or not the people repent. And sometimes it wasn't even stated in that prophecy. We just see when the people repented, God was merciful and did not go through with those things. But what we, we never see though anywhere in the Bible is God ever repenting of any good thing he said he was going to do. Even if it wasn't written, we never see that. Mercy is him not going through with the negative and doing good instead. And God does that all the time in the Bible, but we never see him doing it when it comes to, you know, once it's written. We see in Habakkuk 2 2, it says, And the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision and make it plain upon tables that he may run that readeth it. You know, and why did he say it that way? You know, he, he's saying, he's, he's telling them, write this down, make it plain upon tables. And I, that he may run that readeth it. And I hope I'm interpreting this right, but when I see that, I, I, I could be wrong in my interpretation of this, but you're supposed to read it, get freaked out, and take off running. Okay, I, I, that's how I, I interpret that. He says, for the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it shall speak and not lie. Though it tarry, wait for it. Because it will surely come. It will not tarry. You know why he's, you know, he's emphasizing this, writing it down, putting it on tables, making it plain? Because this is going to happen. And we do. We see that a lot in the Bible. Sometimes it's stated this way, like it is going to happen. Sometimes we'll see it too, where it will be stated multiple times. You know, like, whoa, whoa, whoa to the inhabitants of earth. Sometimes you'll see it where it's, you know, anytime you see something stated three times like that, that's usually for emphasis that this isn't going to happen because sometimes negative prophecies had a chance of you not getting nailed. But sometimes there weren't any. Anytime you see a prophecy in the Bible where it's spoken like it's already happened, then folks, there's no changing it. For example, one of the things, one, one prophecy that has not come to pass yet that we know is, is going to happen is the destruction of Babylon. Why is that? Babylon is fallen. 
is fallen. Whenever you see that, when it's, when it's written in the past tense, God's doing that in a way that not, this, is, this is already done. This is going to happen. When God told Abraham, I have made thee a father of many nations, even though he didn't have any children. The, that's God giving an extra guarantee. But sometimes, when things would be stated in the future tense, there was a possibility for mercy. But we don't see that with certain things. And I'm telling you, the things in Revelation, those things are set, folks. Those things are determined. Those things aren't changed. And I'm not even going to take time to go through, but there are many things throughout the book of Revelation that are written in a way where God is making it very clear these things aren't changing. This is going to happen. Don't you dare change these things. Many of those things are spoken in the past tense. Past tense. Many of those things are triple emphasized and things like that because these things are determined. So the fact that we see God changing His mind during a situation sometimes in the Bible and being merciful does not prove that God could possibly change His mind about what's been written. That, we, we have no examples of that in the Bible. That's, it's not going to happen. So, just if you want to get people out of hell, you get them saved before they go there. You've got to get them saved before they go there. Uh, this universalism foolishness is just that. It's foolishness. Nothing's going to change that. And so hopefully this helps you understand the character of God. Some Calvinist comes along one of these days. You know, some slick Calvinist, he might get up, show you five or six things that God decreed from the foundation of the world that can't be changed. Well, again, yeah, there's some things that God wrote, God set in stone that aren't going to change, but that doesn't mean everything. Everything is determined. You know, next time you backhand your wife, please don't backhand your wife. You know what I'm it was decreed from the foundation of the world. God did it. I, it wasn't my fault. No, no, sorry, buddy. That, that's not going to work. Okay, you are a theological imbecile and a terrible person at the same time uh, for doing that. For doing that kind of thing. That was your choice. You were wrong, and I hope God nails your hide to the wall uh, for for what you did. So I hope that was a help and helps clear some things up. So with that, let's pray to your Lord. Thank you so much. Uh, for your mercy, Lord, what a, a beautiful picture of your mercy and an example of your mercy we see here in the story. And Lord, I pray, Lord, that this won't encourage us to take take advantage, Lord, but it will encourage us whenever we do find ourselves uh, in bad situations that we will always call out for you and uh, help us to uh, just stay close to you. Help us to uh, do what we can now while we can make a difference and trying to uh, bring people to you and keep them out of hell. In your name we pray. Amen.